Thank you. To God be the glory for all that he has done. Can you say amen? amen? I look out over this congregation tonight and I see a mixture of youth and age. And to those of you that are younger who don't know anything about those early years when the church had to be carved out of difficulty and brought into being through sacrifice, faith, and toil. You've heard here tonight how the church came into being. And I just want to stand here at this podium and say to Elder Spell, all of our elders, how deeply grateful I am for the faith that they had and for the courage they had. Praise God. Praise God. You know, we can reach higher and we can see farther when we're standing on the shoulders of men like this. Come here, Brother Spell. When we're standing on the shoulders of men like this, we can reach higher. And when we're seeing through the lens of men like this, we can see more clearly. I thank God for our elders. I thank God for those who have blazed the trail. Praise the Lord. Praise God. This is an incredible church. I stand here and I'm in absolute awe of this beautiful facility. I heard J.T. Pugh say many years ago that, that the building that a congregation erects to God in their community is a testimony to their neighbors of what they think about their God. And so this tells me that Life Tabernacle believes their God is the greatest. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for what you have done for our God. Praise God. I chuckle a little bit when I think about Brother Spell mentioning 1955 was my first introduction to Brother and Sister Spell. My uncle happened to pastor a little church not too far from Turkey Creek, and I went to spend a week or so with uh, my cousins, and we went over to Brother Spell's church in Turkey Creek, and I was 15 years old. The next day we went over to the store. That was my very first time to meet Brother Spell. But when I really came to know Brother Spell is when my family and I moved to Baton Rouge and we were working across town and I found Brother Spell to be a godly man, a man of true faith, and as much as anything else, uh, an absolute revivalist. Everybody say revivalist. Revival. Praise God. I encountered a lot of people whose first encounter with God was through the ministry of Brother Spell. And I saw the fruit of his labor. And he came to be a very close friend over those period of years. And he referenced the time that our church was in transition 
We had sold our building, and in the sale agreement, we had a usage privilege of the building until we could get in our building. And we'd been in that, in that uh, joint usage of the building with the purchasers for almost a year. And to say the least, it had deteriorated. It was very, very difficult. These folks didn't even want us to have a bottle of olive oil in the pulpit. And uh, they, uh, they thought there was something sadistic about this. So I said, well, there's no problem with that. We have the usher's room back there that has a lock on it. And in that usher room, we have a little metal cabinet. And that's where we keep our usher's equipment. We'll just put the oil there. Would you believe they came over one Monday morning and brought all the oil to us? They said, we don't want this stuff in this building anymore. And that's, uh, it went lower from that. And uh, it was a very difficult time. And I received a phone call one Monday morning from Brother Spell. He said, Brother Young, we've got two buildings over here on Plank Road. We've got our church sanctuary. We have the prayer garden behind the other side of the parking lot. He said, why don't you folks come over and have church? Just use that for your church till you get yours built. I said, well, Brother Spell, we're, we're trying to put everything together to build a building. What's that going to cost us? And he said, well, why don't you come over and take a look at it and we'll talk about it. So I went over. He and I walked through the prayer garden. I saw a spacious facility, seat about 12, 1,300 people, beautifully decorated, carpet wall to wall. And then he took me out to the dorms. He said, you know, we can turn these into Sunday school rooms. You can just have a first-class church here. And so I said, how much is that going to cost us? Brother Spell reached over and took me by the shoulder, and he said, Brother Young, we don't want to make one dime off of the first church. If you'll take care of the utilities, you folks can have church here. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Brother Spell, thank you for the opportunity you've given me to stand in this pulpit tonight and share that beautiful experience. I love and appreciate Brother and Sister Spell and their family. I respect their ministry. They are wonderful people. And uh, it was a great day for the greater Baton Rouge area, this entire population area. It was a great day when God brought these people to Baton Rouge. Praise God. Let's lift our hands together and thank God for the Spell family. We love you tonight. We praise you. We magnify you. Hallelujah. 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 I love this kind of service. I love to hear the stories of how this thing came our way. Amen. Now, I'm not going to be long, but... Uh, we're going to put all of this in a test tube here in just a few minutes, and we're going to see if the gospel still works. How many of you believe the gospel still works? We're going to see if the faith, everybody say the faith, the faith 
that moved things in the early days. And the gospel that was preached in the early days. And the worship that took place in the olden days. We're going to see if it's still here. Praise God. And we're going to see if it works like it used to work. Praise God. I've got a feeling in my heart. Hallelujah. I've got a feeling something's going to happen in the Holy Ghost around here. Doesn't matter if I say anything or say little. What is important is will we open our heart to the Holy Ghost? Will we let God do something wonderful for us? Why don't you stretch your hand to the one next to you, lay your hands on one another. Let's pray that there will be a fresh, dynamic move of the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's pray together. Hallelujah. 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 I love you, Jesus. I magnify you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now let's praise Him. Come on, let's praise Him. Let's lift Him to the next level. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Why don't you turn with me tonight to the 68th Psalm. I'm going to read the first several verses. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If you don't, listen carefully to the Word of God. Psalm 68, verse 1. Let God arise. Let His enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate Him flee before Him. Can somebody shout Amen? Amen. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Are there any righteous people here tonight? Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them rejoice exceedingly. Praise God. Sing unto God. Sing praises to His name. Extol Him that rideth upon the heavens. By His name, Jah. And rejoice before Him. A father of the fatherless. And a judge of the widows. Is God in His holy habitation. Now notice verse 6. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with change. Everybody say, He bringeth out. He bringeth out. Now this is not my message, but does that sound emergent to you? He bringeth out. Are there any brought out ones here in this place tonight? Is there anybody glad that you've been brought out? He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. 
Praise God. Let's put our hands together and praise Him one more time. I love you, Jesus. I magnify your name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I could preach about a number of things and thought about it, but I, I was compelled in the Spirit tonight to come to you with this message. God bless you. You may be seated. My subject tonight is three words that can change your life. And since tonight has been declared to be Jubilee, which is the night when we go free. Praise God. When we claim our position in God, I don't see any reason why we should hesitate to do it. I read in the Old Testament about the year of Jubilee and all of the ramifications of that wonderful occasion when all of the debts were wiped away and all of the slaves went free and all of the property went back to the original owner and I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful thing. It was jubilee. But the sad thing about it is I haven't read any place in the Word of God in the Old Testament where Israel ever celebrated the year of Jubilee and took advantage of that. Perhaps it's there. If it is, I have somehow not managed to see it. But uh, why don't we just turn this into a real Jubilee and have everything God wants us to have. Praise God. Praise God. Three words that can change your life. Now, there may be somebody here tonight who says, Brother Young, I've got a pretty good life that I'm living right now. Everything's going fine. Well, if so, introduce me to your world. The world that I know about is in turmoil right now. There's a lot of heartache going on. There's a lot of despair going on. People are on dead-end streets, and they don't know which direction to go now. And I believe God can turn your life around and make it completely new again. Several years ago, I was returning from Cali, Columbia, from a Follow the Fire crusade. I had beautiful services, and a large number of people were baptized in Jesus' name. A large baptismal tank on one end of the platform, and a large baptismal tank on the other end and uh, they didn't wait till the service was over to baptize they were baptizing people when we got to the convention center uh, for each service they baptized throughout the service they baptized after the service was over I don't even know how many they baptized and uh, then many people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I was returning from Columbia to the city of Baton Rouge and when my plane landed in Miami, Florida to make a connecting flight out of Miami to New Orleans. I was greatly distressed because I had a very serious appointment in this city. And uh, when we landed that morning in Miami, the sky was absolutely black. It was just like midnight. It was very dark. And the wind was blowing, 
the lightning was flashing. And I just knew that I was not going to be able to make my connecting flight coming out of Miami. And I knew that if I didn't make that connection, then uh, I wouldn't get to New Orleans in time to get on to Baton Rouge for my appointment. I sat down at the gate where the people who were to board the next flight, I sat down at the gate and bowed my head and whispered a word of prayer. And numerous times there was an announcement over the intercom about the weather and the delay of our flight getting out. I looked out the window and saw our plane just outside that, uh, that place where I was standing. And to my amazement, in a few minutes, they came on the intercom and said, everybody ready for the flight to New Orleans, get ready, because the flight will be boarded in just a few minutes' time. And I looked out the window, and I could barely in the distance, out at the end of the tarmac, I could see some lights flashing, and I knew that that was the lights that told the pilots there was an airport here, there's a terminal. And I could barely see those lights. And I thought, is it safe for me to get on this plane? And I'll be honest with you, I momentarily I considered not boarding that plane. And I began to evaluate what I thought was a very serious appointment that I had and how important it was for me to make that appointment. And uh, then this thought came to me. You know, these people that made the announcement for us to get on the plane, they're the experts. And if they think it's safe, they don't want to lose a plane. They don't want the tragedy of a lot of lost, lives lost. Uh, so they, they are saying this plane can fly, so here we go. So I got in line, got on the plane, and the uh, stewardess said, everybody buckle your seats because we're getting ready for flight. And I looked out the window, and uh, the rain was pelting the windows of the plane, and we were being buffeted by the wind, and I thought, this cannot be. But it was. They backed that plane away from the terminal and turned it around, went out to the end of the tarmac and turned around. And I thought they was about to rev up the engine and move down the runway and become airborne. I didn't know how they would accomplish it, but uh, surely that's what they were going to do. But to my surprise, when he got the plane turned around, he killed the engines. And the voice came on the intercom and said, due to the inclement weather, we are not going to be able to take flight right now. And the reason we asked you to get on board, and we got out at the end of the runway, is because the people in the tower tell us that in just uh, a short period of time, we're going to have a narrow window of opportunity to get airborne. And if we waited until we got that signal, the message said, we wouldn't have time to get everybody on the plane. And we'd miss that narrow window of opportunity. So we're out here and make yourselves comfortable, stay in your seat, stay buckled up. And when we get the signal from the tower, then we're going to take advantage of that narrower window of opportunity and get airborne. Uh, Brother Ballestero, by my watch, I just looked at my watch when that statement was made. By my watch, 
one hour and 18 minutes later. They said, uh, well, buckle yourself up again because uh, we're fixing to be airborne. I looked out the window and I thought, maybe I'll see that narrow window of opportunity. But if it was a narrow window of opportunity, it was so narrow that I couldn't see it. I experienced fear because the plane was being buffeted. And by this time, I could barely see the lights of the terminal from where we were situated at the end of that tarmac. But they said, we're going to be airborne. So sure enough, they revved up the engines and we started down the runway. And I remember vividly the emotion I felt when the, when the wheels of that plane broke the surface of the ground and we began to rise above the ground. It felt to me like gigantic hands took that plane and began to shake us with all of its might. It really did. I wondered, are the wings going to stay together on this plane? Because I've never felt such, such uh, turmoil. I have never experienced such difficulty. My emotions were drained. I cannot describe to you my feeling. It seemed like an eternity. I'm sure it could not have been more than just a few minutes because I don't believe that plane would have stayed together more than just a few minutes and a short few minutes. And if you've been on the plane, you know they say uh, the, the things in the luggage container above you are apt to get messed up during flight. Well, here's what happened. Those uh, storage bins above our head came open. And luggage began to fly out of those storage bins and fly around. People who had not taken seriously the message, who were not buckled up, began to fall out of their, out of their seats. And uh, there was crying. There was screaming. And uh, there was praying. And I think I was leading the prayer list. Because I was frightened. Now I want to go to heaven. And I want to see Jesus. But I want to be together when I see him. I, wa I want to be alive when I see him. Can somebody shout amen? amen? It was a fearful, fearful time. Flying through all of that horrible turbulence. And I thought it would never end. But shortly it did. And when we broke through that turbulence and got above the clouds, it was perfectly calm. And looking down on those clouds that were so innocent looking, I, I wondered and I actually thought, how could something that looks that beautiful be as dangerous and fearful as those clouds I just came through? Now, I knew they were dangerous because I'd come through them. But they looked innocent. And I looked from the window of that plane in every direction, there was nothing but white beneath us and blue sky above us. It was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful experience. And I'm happy to tell you that from, from that point all the way to New Orleans, we had a perfectly calm flight. And it was while we were flying in that beautiful calm that I felt like the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And here's what I felt like the Holy Ghost said. There were three levels 
where people live their lives. Some people live all of their lifetime beneath the clouds. They always have something over their head causing them fear and giving them uh, uh, nerves of difficulty. They live under the clouds. Now, if you ever meet anybody that's living under the cloud, don't ever come up to them and do the natural human thing and ask them, how are you doing? Because they just might tell you how they're doing. And you'll be there quite a long time. I've learned to not ask people, how are you doing? Not a matter of how are you doing. I like to greet them and say, hey, the Lord reigns. The Lord is in charge. Praise God. But I've met a lot of people who live in constant turbulence, constant dread. There's a shadow over them. They live under the clouds. Everybody say under the clouds. That's where they spend all of their time. Doesn't matter how good the service is, it's not quite good enough. Doesn't matter how many people get the Holy Ghost, it's not enough people getting the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter what God does, it's not like it was in the olden days. It doesn't matter what kind of a sermon you preach, it's not like the sermons I used to hear. They always live under that kind of a shadow. Give me somebody whose faith is fresh, whose walk with God is dynamic, Praise God who's full of courage. Hallelujah. Praise God. You ask a new convert, what's the best sermon you ever heard? Without batting an eye, he'll say it's the last sermon I heard. That's the best one I ever heard. What's the best service you've ever been in? It's the last service I came out of. I didn't go to church to pick the service apart. I didn't go to church to hear a sermon to pick the sermon apart. I went to the house of God hungry, looking for something from the Lord. Hallelujah! Put your hands together and let's praise Him right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Some people like to spend their time sitting by the window of life, looking out, and saying, ooh, don't it look bad? Don't it feel bad? Why do we have to let the devil determine what we see and what we feel and what we hear? Praise God. There's a voice besides his. And that's the voice I want to dial into. Praise God. And then there are people who spend all of their life in the clouds. Everybody say in the cloud. They can't see very far because their whole existence is encompassed with clouds. They spend their time being catapulted from one difficulty to the next difficulty. One time you see them, they're at the end of their rope. The next time you find them, the knot they tied in the end of the rope has come loose and they're slipping down. And they're jolted from this place to the next place. They don't know what a spiritual equilibrium is. They don't know what peace in God means. Because they've spent all of their life 
in the turbulence of the clouds. Praise God. Now you may not know it, but I'm preaching right now. And I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. But, but you hang on because we're going somewhere else. Praise God. Thank God there were other people who were not willing to live beneath the clouds. They take knowledge of the fact that I'm a child of God. I've been born again. I don't have to stay here. This is just my launching place. Praise God. Then when they find themselves in the cloud, they have the philosophy, this too is going to pass. I'm not here for long. I'm only passing through this. Praise God. And they have found out that above the clouds, everybody say above the clouds, there is a land where the sun never sets. There is a place where peace rules. Praise God. I don't care how low you have sunk in life. I don't care how empty your life may feel. I don't care what kind of trial you're going through. I'm here to tell somebody, there is a great God in heaven who knows your name, who knows where you are, who is more than able to meet every need. As a matter of fact, there's enough of the Holy Ghost anointing in this place right now to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If God can fill a man with the Holy Ghost 50 years ago, and then we see 10 or 12 of his family stand in this church tonight and say, I'm born again. I've been baptized in Jesus' name. I want somebody to know that our God is a keeping God. Our God knows your name. He knows where you are. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly. Above that you're able to ask or think of him. Somebody shout hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I want to tell you something. You can be seated. Brother Spell, 50 years ago, would have come to church, sat around and had a little bless me club, and then turned it into a pity party, and just praised the enemy for all of the rough places, we wouldn't be in this sanctuary tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't we just say hallelujah anyhow? Hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah anyhow. Praise God. These are the people that live all their lifetime above the clouds. Everybody say above the cloud. They live all their lifetime above the cloud. Praise God. Now in this day for the modern church, we need a word. We really do. We need a word from God. We really do. We need a word from God. Praise God. In the book of Revelation, the Bible said the kings of the earth and the merchantmen and all of the seamen, they looked and they saw Mystery Babylon the Great that was burning. And the Bible said in one hour she came to her untimely end. And all of the great men and leaders of the world 
looked at the fall of Babylon the Great and they used a word. And that word is alas. Everybody say alas. Alas. That little word is not used a whole lot. Well, let me rephrase that. I've noticed, Brother Spell, lately in the newspaper, I've seen that word several times. It's an old word that people are pulling out of, out of the past. That little word means it's all over now. It's all over now. The kings of the earth, the great men, the seamen, they saw Babylon the Great falling. And they said, it's all over now. You go to the next chapter in the book of Revelation. And you will find a heavenly host of angels and seraphims. And those around the throne. And they see the same thing that the kings of the earth saw in the previous chapter. But they don't use the earth's word. They use a word that you and I love and use so often. It's the only book in the Bible where this word is used. And it's the only chapter in the Bible where it's used. But when the angels and the seraphims and those around the throne saw Babylon the great falling and coming to naught, with a loud unified voice, they said, Hallelujah! 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 Praise God! I submit to you tonight on Jubilee night. It's not time to say alas. It's not time to say it's all over now. It's time to say hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Brother Tony, somebody's going to get the Holy Ghost tonight in this service. Somebody's going to release their faith and receive from the Lord. Praise God. The word hallelujah means my God reigns supreme. Everybody say my God reigns supreme. Hallelujah. Hey, it's not all over yet. Praise God. There's blue sky above us. There's a place where the enemy cannot interrupt us. We can get out of this mess we're in. We can get above these problems that buffet us. We can go beyond the struggle of this whole world. We can go to the next level. And I plan to do that in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. Now the question before us in this service is if you are beneath the clouds and you intend to get above the clouds how do you get there? If you're in the midst of the clouds and you know there's a land beyond this and you want to get there how do you do that? How can you change your life? Some people have the philosophy, when you get in that kind of a position, you will have to always remain there. But I'm here tonight to tell you something that will change your life. Anybody interested in a life change here tonight? I don't know if you really are, maybe two or three, but 
What about this whole congregation? Are you ready for a life change? Praise God. Praise God. Hey, I'm not going to share this secret with you unless you really want to know it. Anybody really want to know what can change your life? Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm not going to have to find a dictionary to do it. I'm not going to have to preach a long sermon to do it. I'm not going to have to have a concert to do it. Brother Tony, I've got three little old simple words. Everybody say three little words. That can change your life. You mean, Brother Young, is it that simple to get from down here on the earth where everything is black and gloomy or get out of the middle of all of these trials and, 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 and clouds and find another level? Is it that simple? Absolutely. Praise God. Turn to somebody near you and say, you're three words from the greatest experience in your life. Praise God. I'm not trying to be a super salesman here, but I'm convinced about my God. I know this book. I know what God can do for you. I know the transformation that can take place. You may have walked into this building loaded and bent and broken, but you can walk out of this place with the power of the Holy Ghost living in you. Praise God. You may have been bound by habits that were dragging you down, but you can leave here a free man in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Anybody really want to know what those three words are? Hallelujah. Okay, you can be seated. Those three words are contained in verse 1 of the 68th Psalm. And I want you to look at that with me. And everybody say it with me. Let. Come on, let's do it together. Let God arise. Hey, you don't know what I'm talking about. Do you want your life to be changed? Let God arise. Praise the Lord. I'm not telling you you've got to adhere to any magic formula. I'm not telling you you've got to shake any preacher's hand. I'm telling you the answer to your dilemma is let God arise. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how big the trial is. I don't care how big the difficulty is. You let God arise. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. And you're going to move from here to here. Please be seated. We had a group of young folks, and we, we were going to spend a couple of weeks in old Mexico. It was the first overseas trip we'd carried the young folks on. We, we uh, secured the use of a bus and driver from Baton Rouge to the Mexican border. And when we got there, we didn't know this ahead of time, but when we got there, we found out that the government of Mexico was not going to let us carry an American license or United States license bus and driver into their country. And so we had, we thought for several hours while someone was arguing with the immigration people 
that uh, we might have to turn around and head back to Baton Rouge. But after about an hour or so of negotiation, well, they told us what you can do is leave your bus right here and acquire the services of a Mexican bus and drivers. Of course, you know what that's all about. That's all about American dollar bills. And later on, we found out if we'd have slipped them a little bit of money under the table, we might have done it a lot quicker. But at any rate, we, we took, uh, we took their option. We, we got a Mexican driver and, and, uh, his assistant and we had all of our folks on that bus with us and, and, uh, we started our tour of Mexico, a service in this town, a service in the next town, and just on and on. We had, we had church on the street, we had church on the bus, we had church everywhere we could go. And, uh, we had, uh, almost fulfilled the mission. We were en route back, but we were still somewhere in the heart of old Mexico. And we were in a long stretch where uh, there were hills and valleys, winding roads, no town anywhere. And the driver told us that morning when we left the hotel, he said, now we're going to go through this territory. And he said, uh, there's a lot of bad things happen on this particular road. We don't have an alternative. We've got to go this route. And he said, in case somebody stops the bus, tell all of your young folks, don't anybody get off the bus, because we don't know what's going to happen. Well, you know what that did to the young folks when I told them that. It made them absolutely afraid to the nth of, nth of their life. And me too. And uh, it was, a, it was a, a worrisome time. Sure enough, a couple of hundred miles from the city we left, Somebody called my attention to the fact that the driver is slowing his bus down. And he is keeping his eyes glued on the rearview mirror above his, above his head. So they said, turn around and look, Brother Young. I turned around and looked out the back window of our bus. And way behind us, probably a half a mile or more, I saw two vehicles coming up behind us. And uh, they were coming pretty rapidly. I wanted to tell the driver, why don't you speed up a little bit? But he knew what was going on more than I did. And after a while, those two drivers got right against our bumper, one behind the other. And uh, then one started to go around the bus. The bus driver moved the bus over to the center of the highway. And uh, that driver that was going around us moved on to the edge of the road, even to the ditch. And uh, that driver in that little car sped around us. He had no longer, no sooner gotten around us than he began to apply his brakes just a little bit of time. And the driver behind us hurried up and got real close. There was nowhere for us to go. Absolutely nowhere for us to go. And sure enough, finally that driver ahead of us stopped his car dead still. And the driver stood out. And two little old fellas... A little old guy got out of that car in the front, and a little bitty guy, didn't look like they was a bit over four feet tall, got out of their cars, and they came over to the door of the bus, and here we were, just a group of young people. I see Sister Shirley here. Her brother was on the bus, and he's tall, big shoulders, and our drivers was little old bitty squatty guys, about like that. That may be an exaggeration, maybe like that, or maybe like that. 
And uh, you could see fear in their eyes. Brother Kenneth said, let me take care of this. Those drivers looked at him, and when he stood up, his head almost t- touched the top of that bus. At least it looked that way to me. And he walked over and stood in the door of that bus. And when he started to go out, he had to duck his head to go out. And he was on that first step of the bus, and these two little guys were right down there. And the Kenneth squared his shoulders, and shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, he touched either side of, those, of that doorway. And those guys looked up at him, and their eyes flashed to the back of that bus, and they saw people with their eyes glued to the windows. And then they looked back at Brother Kenneth, and one of them nudged the other one. And you know what they did? They headed for their cars and they got out of there. I, the only way I know how to, how to think about what happened, they, they wondered, is everybody in that bu- bus as big as that guy is? If everybody in that bus is as big as he is, then I don't think we better fool with these guys. And Brother Kenneth turned around, came back and sat down the driver, started the bus up and down the road we went. And everything turned out merrily thereafter. We had a wonderful time. I want to tell you when my God gets up, praise the Lord. I don't care who the devil has brought against you. I don't care what kind of problem he's thrown at you. When my God gets up, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost moving here right now. You say, Brother Young, you don't know what kind of a load I'm carrying. You don't know the walls that are in front of me. You let God begin to arise. Praise God. And everything is going to be okay. I don't care where you are. You may be in the middle of a hospital room. Looking down in the eyes of a loved one. That that has just received bad news from the doctor. You let God arise. And that hospital room is going to change. Praise God. Your back may be to the door financially. But when God arises, everything is going to be okay. Hallelujah. Everything is going to be okay. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. I don't want to be long-winded, but I've got to share something with you. I've got to share something with you. My dad and mother were old-time Apostolic pioneers, just like Elder Spell. Dad and mother spent their years in the ministry, going places and starting churches and moving on. Every home my dad ever owned, he gave to the church he pastored when he went on down the road. And when he died, he thought that he had given his seven children nothing because he died not even able to pay for his own burial. But you know what? He did give me something. He gave me a heritage of faith. Praise God. And one particular event has never left my mind. My dad pastored a little country church in central Louisiana. We came in from church on a Sunday night. And it was the habit of our family to have a little food before we went to bed at night whether we had an evangelist staying with us or whether it was just a family. But on this particular night, when we were getting near the house, 
Mom turned to Dad, who was driving, and she said, We don't have any food. We don't have anything. The cupboards are bare. The refrigerator is empty. We don't have anything. And uh, the kids are going to have to go to school tomorrow without anything to eat. So what we did, and I didn't understand it then, but I can appreciate it now. We went in our house, and we gathered in the kitchen. And we knelt around the kitchen table. I can still see that scene in my mind. And we knelt there and we prayed. And when we got through praying, we all went to bed. The next day, we got up to get ready to go to school. Simeon was the oldest boy in the family. And uh, while we were getting dressed, there was a knock on our door. So Simeon rushed to the front door, opened the door, and there stood a man that we knew, a man that didn't go to anybody's church. This is on Monday morning after we prayed on Sunday night. And there stood a man at the door of our house. He said, son, is Preacher Young here? Simeon said, yes, he is. He said, tell him uh, that Bill Ross wants to see him. Bill Ross owned the only grocery store in our community. He didn't go to church anywhere. So when Dad came to the door, Bill Ross said, Preacher Young, I don't know God. And he said, I'm not a Christian. But he said, God woke me up before daylight this morning, and he told me, take Preacher Young some groceries. And Dad looked out over his shoulder, and Bill's pickup was backed up to our front steps. And that pickup truck, the back of it was loaded level with groceries. And Bill said, Preacher, get the boys out here to help me unload this. Simon and I went out to help unload the pickup. We got that unloaded in the back. He said, that's not all, boys. He went and opened the passenger side, and his pickup only had room for one person in it, and that was the driver. The floor and the seat and behind the seat was packed with more groceries. He said, let's get these groceries out of the truck and get them into the house. When we went back into the kitchen, the kitchen table was full of groceries. And the cabinet was, the cabinet top was full of groceries. There were sacks of groceries on the floor. Praise God. I'm here to tell somebody, God knows where you are. God knows who you are. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that you're able to ask or think of Him. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. You let God get up. And your life is going to change. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can be seated just for a few minutes. Now let me, let me quickly show you what happens when God arises. Everybody say, when God arises. Look at verse 1. Let God arise. Let His enemies be scattered. I'm here to tell you every time God arises, His enemies begin to flee. They begin to run. Praise God. They really do. They can't hang around where the Lord is standing tall. He was asleep in the bottom of the ship. And there arose a great storm of wind. And somebody said, let's get Jesus up. 
praise God. That's a good thing to say. Let's, let's ring the clock on Jesus. Let's get Jesus up. Praise God. Jesus stood at the bow of that ship and he said, peace be still. That old stormy sea became calm. And it happens every time. The enemies of doubt, the enemies of sickness, the enemies of oppression, all of the enemies of God will flee when God gets up. Praise God. How do they flee? As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. When God gets up, whether it's Wednesday night Bible study, Sunday morning Sunday school, or in the middle of the week, when it's a day or, four, uh, or so before church, if you get God up, those problems are going to melt like wax. They're going to float away like smoke. Praise God. But that's not all. Everybody, look at verse 3. Let the righteous be glad. Praise God. When God gets up, it's time for righteous people to get happy. Hallelujah. Am I right? Is God up in your life? Has God arisen? It's time to be happy. It's time to celebrate. It's time to get excited. It's time to let joy flood your soul. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Every time God arises, it never fails. Righteous people get happy. Unrighteous people get nervous. They wonder what's going to happen next. But if you're born again, if God's hand is in your life, your soul is going to be flooded with joy. Praise God. And there's going to be singing songs of praise. They're going to be extolling Him that rideth in the heavens. Praise God. Because He's a Father to the fatherless. He's a judge of the widows. He's in His holy habitation. But quickly, while everybody stands, everybody stand, quickly here tonight, there's one other thing that will always happen. Not ever once in a while, not on special occasions, but there's something that happens without fail. Every time God arises. And it's found right here in verse 6. God. Everybody say God. Setteth the solitary in families. Now look at the next clause. He bringeth out. Everybody say bringeth out. Those that are bound with chains. Every time God arises, captives go free. Hallelujah. I said every time God arises, captives go free. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, yes. Now, I read one time, Part of this I can't verify, but part of it I can. I read one time that uh, you can't find any hand clapping 
in the Old Testament before Israel came out of Egypt's land. Now, I verified that. I searched it. I couldn't find a time. But then the rest of what I read said there were numerous times where not only was there hand clapping, but there were numerous times where God admonished them to clap their hands. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Now, here's the part I can't verify. The author that I was reading after said that the Jews have a tradition that the reason there was no hand clapping prior to the exit out of Egypt and much hand clapping after Egypt is because when you clap your hands, it sounds like breaking chains. Now let that soak in for a few minutes. Why don't you try it? Everybody clap your hands. Is that what it sounds like? Sounds like breaking chains. And this author said the Jewish tradition is that Israel wanted to reenact the sound of deliverance. And so they clapped their hands. Praise God. Hallelujah. 25 years ago, I went to what was then called Yugoslavia. It is now Serbia. About two months ago, I was back in that same country, Serbia now. I went to some of the same churches this time that I went to 25 years ago. When I got there 25 years ago, I found people in depression. I found people that were afraid to worship and turn loose. Because when their church was formed, it was formed under the days of communism. It was illegal to gather in public worship. And if you made noise, somebody would report you to the police and they would come and shut you down and put the leaders in prison. So what they would do, they would have quiet church. And if anybody was going to get the Holy Ghost, they would say, you go home and pray through. And they wouldn't let anybody worship. And by the time I went there the first time, what was a survival mode had become a doctrine. And the People were taught in that day that worship and ecstatic excitement and hand clapping is American culture. And we're not interested in that. Don't let anybody rob you of your own culture. You don't have to do that. And so when we were there, they were still quiet. We were preaching in a college town. And Sister Young and I were sitting on a bench. And there was a couple of college young ladies sitting opposite of her. And... I saw them when the Holy Ghost got to moving. And they wanted to raise their hand. They'd get their hands up about like this. And then they would know, you know, we can't do that. They jerked their hands down. And finally, what they did, they grabbed their jacket with a hand on each side. As though that jacket was going to hold their hands down. Because you mustn't raise your hands. You mustn't clap your hands. You can't get excited. Well, the Ballastera, 25 years later, they were still going through that. But we went to a few churches that were not part of that. And so God had given me a message to preach, and I told this little illustration about the hand clapping. What I didn't know is uh, the preacher of one of those churches that didn't believe in hand clapping said, told his people before they, before they went, don't anybody clap your hands. Because that's just an American culture. Don't clap your hands. And he told the pastor, he said, don't ask my people.
people to clap their hands. So here I am, I preach my sermon, I get up and at the end of my sermon I tell this little illustration about no hand clapping before Exodus out of Egypt and much hand clapping later. And it symbolizes broken chains. It's a celebration of deliverance. It's giving God the glory. And when I said, it sounds like breaking chains, I said, why don't everybody in the building clap your hands right now? And even that preacher clapped his hands. And when he did that, everybody started smiling. And there was a spirit of release came over that building. And the next thing you know, everybody was clapping their hands and they were praising God. Praise God. I had the realization that it really is true. It's a celebration of deliverance. Praise God. Hey, I want to tell somebody at Life Tabernacle, the same spirit that birthed this mission is still in the house. I said it's still in the house. From the other side of town, Brother Spell, my view of Life Tabernacle was that Life Tabernacle was a church in revival. From the day I got to town till the day I left, it was a church in revival. My view from the other side of town is this was a church that was baptizing people in Jesus' name and praying people through to the Holy Ghost. My view of Life Tabernacle was that churches are being funded all over this nation and overseas because of the sacrificial giving of this people. But then my view of Life Tabernacle throughout the years was this was a church that ran the aisles, clapped their hands, worshipped with all their heart, unpredictable services, dynamic moves of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Praise God. It's refreshing to find it still that way. Somebody put your hand together and let's begin to magnify our God tonight. Come on, let's worship Him. Let God arise. Come on, let God arise and His enemies be scattered. Hey, it's Jubilee. What do you say we have church around here a little while? Let's give thanks unto God. Come on, let's give thanks unto the Lord. Hey.